Father, as I begin uh, this uh, preaching of your word, this gospel message, I begin today by giving you thanks this day. First, for bringing all of those who are with us today, whether in person or virtually, Father, that will hear and receive this message today. I place, Father, the weight of this task at your feet. Father, it is my humble request today that you receive the preparations of this teaching today as an offering. God, I pray that you work in and through these words to bless those, Father, who are in need of a blessing, to encourage those who are in need of encouragement, and to convict those who need a spirit-led conviction. And it is in the mighty and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the church says... Amen. So before I get started today, uh, I think there is a few words of gratitude that I, uh, that I feel are uh, in need. Uh, first um, is an expression of thanks and gratitude to the elders here at Emmanuel. 
uh, for allowing me this privilege and this opportunity to share the gospel with all of you today. So thank you, uh, my brothers, gentlemen, one and all, uh, for continuing to pray with me and pray for me as I prepare for this message today. Um, secondly, I, I want to say thank you again to all of you who are here, uh, so many uh, familiar faces who I have not seen in so long. Thank you guys for being here. Many of you are my students from years ago and my young disciples who have grown and come up in the Word. You know, last year I wondered often if the work that I was doing years ago uh, had an impact and an effect on your lives. And thank you, Shelley, for reminding me that they did. And so I'm humbled uh, that so many of you heard I was preaching today and came uh, to hear a word. So thank you guys for knowing that the word went out and did not come back void. So thank you. Uh, but I also want to thank the Emmanuel Church family uh, at large, uh, whether they're here now or not. Rose and I departed from the weekly and daily fellowship for a season, and upon our return, you guys welcomed us with open arms, like we never left, like we never skipped a beat. And so I can say nothing but thank you and give you our sincerest and heartfelt gratitude for you and your love. But it's been too long. It has been, guys, believe it or not, short of me having an opportunity to preach or do a teaching at our men's breakfast recently, um, it has been over 18 months since I've done a public teaching or sermon. And as many of you know, I have been um, just, I dived in a while ago into my master's seminary program, and it has just been a time of learning and reflecting, and nothing, truth be told, has been off the table. I have been spending countless hours working through this program, examining every thought and every belief that I had, questioning why do I think it, why do I believe it. And the more that I have spent time wrestling with these complex theological and philosophical topics, the more simple the gospel of Jesus Christ has become for me. The more it has just boiled down to the truth of the basics of the gospel and why so many people struggle to see its beauty and its simplicity. And so recently I was actually speaking with a sister in Christ and um, we were talking a little bit about how her uh, understanding of the gospel, her understanding of the canon of scripture has evolved over the years. And prior to that conversation, I had asked her to stop studying the Bible. Now that might seem somewhat counterintuitive for some of you. But allow me a moment to explain to you why. See, my sister, my friend in Christ, she said to me one day, Pastor Will, I have fallen in love with the Bible, but I neglected to fall in love with the one who it is about. So I asked her, I said, I need you to stop studying the text. I said, I need you to pray. I need you to read. I need you to meditate simply on the narrative of the gospel. And guys, when I say gospel, I am not just talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I am not just talking about the New Testament. The gospel of Christ is Genesis to Revelations. And so I said to her, I want you to read the story of God's redemptive plan and who it's centered upon and fall in love with he who is the Holy One of Israel. Fall in love with he who is our Redeemer and it'll change your life. So she did that and she embarked on this journey and wouldn't you know it, when we followed up in this conversation, we were, we were talking about how her understanding evolved and it changed because of that. She says, Pastor Will, I'm experiencing a level of grace and mercy like I've never experienced before. Because it's not about the Bible, so to speak, but it is he who is the Lagos, he who is the Word, and how it changed her life. And that's what I want to spend a little time talking to all of you today about is just that. 
It is God's word and how God uses his word as an instrument of grace, not only upon our personal lives, but upon the life of the church. And so we want to examine a text today. We're going to do kind of an uh, exposition of Isaiah 55 today. So why don't you go to Isaiah 55, and we're going to try to wrestle uh, and answer a couple questions. If you're using your pew Bible today, I think it's on page 733, if I'm not mistaken. And I will be reading from the NIV. So if you have your electronic Bibles, you can switch it over to the NIV so you can follow along with me. I'll give you a second to get there. So we're going to wrestle with two questions, somewhat similar but different. What is the purpose of God's Word, and how does God use His Word to dispense grace over us as individuals and over us as a church? And it's a lengthier reading today, but I'll ask for those of you who can, please stand to your feet as we show reverence to the reading of God's Word today. And those of you who can. We are going to read the entirety of Isaiah 55. It's only 13 verses. We'll get through it together. Again, page 73 in your pew Bibles. I'm reading from the NIV. And in verse 1, starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 55, it reads, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Verse 6, halfway done, guys. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower, bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Last two verses. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst in song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of a thorn bush, you will grow the juniper. Instead of the briar, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for your patience as we read through that powerful prophetic text from Isaiah. So again, we're trying to wrestle with this question, these two questions today, beloved. What is his purpose? What does his word do? What does it accomplish? How does God dispense grace over us and over the church by his word? But, but before we get into that, I want to give you some context because the context is important. For those of you who don't know or are not versed in this topic and area, Isaiah a major prophet of the Old Testament was an 8th century prophet. 
Now, Isaiah lived, if you read Isaiah 1, it will tell you he lived during the reigns of four kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, the reason a lot of students of the word and lay people struggle with their reading and understanding of Isaiah is because they they forget or they don't see or understand the transition between Isaiah talking about the difficulties of his current time, which is Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 39, and the two sections of prophetic text that follow. And so people wonder and struggle, how is Isaiah talking about the time of Cyrus when he wasn't even around during the time of Isaiah? But Isaiah is enthralled in this prophetic vision in this section that we're in today in Isaiah 40 to 55. And then he talks about this prophetic vision of the time of rebuilding of the temple in the last chapters of the text of Isaiah. But where we are today is this section where he is talking about the return of God's people from a time of exile, which has not yet happened. It has not yet taken place during the time of Isaiah, but he is speaking prophetically. One of the most famous chapters in the Bible and in the book of Isaiah come in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. We're in this section of the text. And Isaiah is telling us about the work of the coming Messiah, of vividly and in detail how the Messiah would come, how the Messiah would be treated, and how his work would bless the entire world. And he transitions in this text. This is the closing chapter of this section of that prophetic vision. And what we're seeing here is something beautiful that we get to be returned from exile and we receive a blessing and a salvation that is without cost to you or me. And that's where we're gonna start today in examining our passage. If we look closely at the opening passages of Isaiah 55, go back to your Bibles and turn with me and we're gonna examine that text very briefly. If we look at Isaiah chapter, or chapter 55, 1 through 5, we're going to see that Isaiah uses some really interesting language. He uses the language of a marketplace. He uses language as a seller selling a good, a product. Guys, and I want you to see this. This is an example of him telling us through this prophetic revelation that God offers us the best deal possible if people will only take it. If people will only receive this amazing offer that God has before us. And here's the interesting thing, guys. It's free. It is without cost to you it is free. But here's the thing. God wants you and me. He wanted Israel, the people, to see that this free uh, uh, product that God was offering, this gift that he was offering, must be received with trust and confidence that his product was as good as he said it is. Okay, maybe I didn't get y'all with this. See, Isaiah wants us to understand that this is not some fantasiful, some uh, um, just want. That, that what God was offering in this text, his word, was not just something that we just wanted on a whim. No, Isaiah is telling us through this amazing prophetic revelation that God wants us to see that this product, that this seller in God is offering you and me and in this text, Israel is a product that is the necessity to life itself. That it is not just something that we want, but it is something that we need. As a matter of fact, the seller here in God, he actually tells us that his product comes with a full guarantee that your life will be fuller in every dimension. How could we turn up this deal? How could we possibly reject 
this deal of a lifetime that is free and without cost. Now, he goes on to urge them and us in this first few verses of the text not to be distracted by other offers. Beloved, let me tell you today, the world has many other counterfeit offers. The world has many other counterfeit offers for you and for me, and none of them, although they may seem better, they may seem worth it, Every offer of the world will leave you feeling nothing but empty. But God says, what I'm giving you comes with a lifetime guarantee. And so he says, listen, this is more than just bread and water. And I love that because he says in the text, come and buy without cost. But then he says it again. He says, come, buy and eat. But wait, let me reiterate it. He says, come and buy bread and buy wine and buy milk. See, what God is telling us is that I'm offering you much more than just what can sustain you in life. Because bread and water in that early uh, uh, time, in that period, in that time of Isaiah, bread and water would sustain you. But he says, no, guys, listen, what I'm offering you is not just sustenance, but it is abundance. I am offering you wine. I am offering you milk. Listen, they didn't have refrigerators back then, guys. If you're drinking milk, you're doing all right. He says, I'm offering you an abundance of blessing. I'm not just offering you the minimum standard. He says, I am giving you a life of blessing and abundance in this text. But he says, forget about everything else that you're hearing because they're counterfeit offers. So let me bring it back to reality, right? These are counterfeit gods. These are counterfeit idols. They are all fake and leave us nothing. And God, in this text, he has given the people, those prophetically in the future who will be returning from exile, he's giving them this abundance of blessing in this text. And he's giving it to them without cost. And I, I don't know about you, but as I see this and we're told that he endowed them with this splendor and wonder, it caught my attention. Because he goes on and he says, listen, when I bring you back from exile, I need y'all to catch this, right? He says, when I bring you back from exile, which I plan to do because a season of exile, how many of y'all feel like y'all been in exile? A season, and maybe I don't want to raise your hands, so I know some of you do, but a season of exile, he says, is over. But when I bring you back from a season of exile, listen, he brings back this Davidic covenant. He starts to talk about David in a way that's beautiful. And he says, listen, I originally gave this to David, and David was this, this armor bearer, and he was this representative, but no, no, now the Davidic covenant is given now to you. That now you are the owner of the Davidic covenant. And as a result, just like David was a representative of the nation, just like David received the full blessings of God because of the covenant and the promise that God gave him, he says, now that's yours. Now that blessing, that Davidic covenant, now belongs to you as I bring you out of exile. No longer is it only for the person or the office of the king, but I'm giving it to those coming out of exile. But why? And he gives us the answer in the text. He says, I'm going to give you this covenant for the same reason that I gave it to David, so that you may be a witness to the grace of God so that you may be a witness to his mercy, his unmerited favor in your life, and that those who do not know you will be attracted to you. Nations who did not know you will now come running after you. How many of y'all want the church filled with people running after God? That's what his word does. He says, come on and I'll give you this and they will chase you for me. Now, I know we got to keep moving. I want to continue to progress quickly through the text today. In verse 6, something very interesting happens in the text in verse 6. There is this transition. In, in verse 6, he says, seek. 
the Lord in his transition. And, you know, as you interpret, as you dissect and understand this text in his fullness, this seeking of the Lord in the context of the Scripture is this seeking him and forgetting about quit. In other words, quit complaining. He says, seek me, trust me with confidence, and quit complaining. Quit complaining about the victories of those former idols and gods and those things that were in your life that were oppressing you and keeping you down. He says, quit complaining and seek me. He says, come after me. Stop complaining. Stop complaining about the time when you abandoned me and I chastened you. That's over. My disposition, my attitude towards you has changed. He says, and he's stressing in the text, that he is the Holy One of Israel and that we should call on him, here's the catch, while he's near. You know, when I read that text, it really hit me. He says, call on me while I'm near. There's an implication. There is this prophetic implying that he will not always be here. That there is a time and a season that is coming where you will no longer have an opportunity to call his name. Where you will no longer have an opportunity to cry out to him and receive his grace and his mercy. A time is coming, whether it is in your death or in the coming of Christ, there is a time that is coming where you will no longer have an opportunity to call on his name. He says, call on me. Seek me, and that hit me in a way that I can't quite describe. But as he says, call on me, watch this, there's, a, there, there's even more, but it's a call on me, seek after me, repent from your ways and forsake your wicked ways and your wicked thoughts. See, there's a lot going on here. There's a coming. There is a listening, a seeking, a repenting, and a turning away from our wicked ways. Keep in mind, guys, in the context of the Scripture, Israel has not yet come out of exile. But God says when they come out of exile i.e. when you get saved, when you come out of exile, there is still some work that has to be done. There is still a cleansing in our lives that has to take place. He says, repent and turn away. I, I, I don't have this disposition of anger towards you anymore. I have already chastened you and I loved you enough to call you back to me. I love you says the Lord. Come back and repent. Truly repent of your ways. Now notice he says, not just turn away from your ways, but he says, repent of your thoughts. He says, turn away because he loves you. God is ready to forgive and forget he is ready to remove your sins and iniquities as far as the east is from the west. Again, anger is no longer his disposition. It is no longer his attitude towards you, beloved. You got to get past it. His word is more powerful and is overcoming all of that. In fact, he tells us that when we come out of exile and we come to him with a repentant heart, we will be forgiven, we will be pardoned freely. There's no hesitation on God's part in forgiving you. When you come out of your own personal exile and you come to him with a repentant heart, when you receive the fullness and glory of his word, the logos, not only the word in the Bible, but he who is the word, the logos, as John tells us in, in his gospel, he is the word. When you receive him, how it pours a grace upon your life. But the prophet wants the exiles, me and you, the exiles that he was referring to in the context of the scripture, he wants you 
in case you haven't made the connection, yes, this is me and you, but he wants you to realize that God is different. God is very different. He is different in ways that you can't imagine. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm different. The type of love and forgiveness that you're used to in this earthly realm can't hold a candle to my love. He can't hold it. It can't hold a candle to it. He says, I'm different. I'm something real different beyond your wildest imagination. I'm different, and I want to make that very, very clear to you. And his new plan that he has for you, the new plan that he has for me, the new plan that he has for Emmanuel Church is a plan that will have you soaring. Listen, guys, if if you really want to move forward in your personal life through God's Word, um, then you, and you're really, really, really ready to fly with him in his splendor, to fly with him in his glory and wonder, instead of being stooped down in your self-pity, in your wallowing, and in your misery, if you're ready to transition and fly with him, God says, I have a grace beyond your wildest imagination. It comes from his word. You see, in this text, God gives us the surety of his word. In this text, he tells us to listen, to seek, to, and to forsake all of our worldly ways. But you know what? It's not enough. That might be hard to hear. It's not enough. You can seek, and you can listen. You can chase after God all you want. But the reality of it is, if his word isn't involved, it's meaningless. I'm going to say that again. Maybe y'all didn't hear it, because I wasn't yelling at y'all when I said it. It's meaningless. You You can seek, you can chase, you can try to find all you want. But if God isn't in it, If God isn't at the center of your seeking, if he isn't the thing in which you are seeking, it's pointless. It's not enough to make you right with God, without God. You understand that, right? All you're seeking is not enough to make you right with God unless you are seeking and you are centered on God. Period. It's a full stop. Do all the seeking you want. Pointless. Effortless. God offers us something so beautiful. He offers us through his word, the deal of a lifetime. How many of you like a good deal? Anybody go shopping and like a real good deal? Of course you do. Everybody loves a good deal, right? Some of you wait till you like got double and triple coupons and then wait till the sale happens, Rosa, right? And then, right? You wait till you can almost get her for free. Rosa went to, I'm not kidding. She went to Old Navy. She got two pair of pants for 20 cents. All right? We love a good deal. And listen, by the way, if you know, like, if for those of you who don't know, I always got one or two jokes about Rosa in all my sermons, right? So this was the one. She gave me a dirty look today again, so that's okay. But everybody loves a good deal. And God offers us the best deal that we could ever get. There's no deal better. It's a deal without cost. He's already paid it. He paid a price you could never pay. The Word came to flesh and pay the cost and a price that you could never, ever, ever pay. It is free to you. It's the best deal we could ever receive. But here's the thing about the logos, the word. And this is as we kind of transition into the last few verses. This is actually verse 10 and 11. I want you to think about what God says in verse 10 and 11 in this text. That he says that the logos, the word, is the divine truth that makes us right with the Father. And his word, catch this, his word is the rain and the snow that falls from heaven. What does rain and snow do? Rain, snow, and if you don't know, go out west and see what they're dealing with with these exceptional droughts that they're experiencing. Rain and snow bring what? It brings life. It brings nourishment and refreshing. Water brings life to where previously there was death. You see the comparison of God's word? 
And this is what God is telling us in and through his word. He says that my word, when it goes out like rain, it brings life, it brings nourishment, it brings a blessing like you couldn't believe. And it won't return to me empty because it's a seed that grows from the abundance of his grace. It will not return to him without fulfilling his purpose. Rain falls down, what does rain do? It fulfills his purpose, it brings life, it brings nourishment, it brings seed, it brings bud from the ground. That's its purpose and when God's word comes forth. Now listen, God's word is just, and when we preach the word, it is just not some human interpretation of God's word. No, no, no guys. God's word as it is preached by the preacher and the teacher comes and should be moved and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's moving, it's living, it's breathing. And so God says, I send rain to serve a purpose and that purpose is to bring life. And so it does my word. As my word, does my divine supernatural word comes forth it fulfills a purpose to bring life, beloved. Are y'all hearing me? I hear so many people um, over, my, over my time and my journey, this is kind of a young, real kind of modern Western Christianity thing, that they're like, I, I don't need to go to church. I got my own relationship with Christ. I don't need the church. Let me tell you something. That is a lie of the devil. That is unequivocally a false belief and teaching. It could be no further from the truth. We need the corporate reading and fellowship of the word. The word is not only for our own benefit, the benefit and the sustaining of every good, God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, but for the body of Christ as a whole. The word of God and how it manifests its grace is not just for me and you, it is for us. You want to see the church grow? Fill it with the word. You don't believe me? Read Acts. You don't believe me? Read Acts. It says that the church grew because they got together, they broke bread together, and they did what? Read the word. They spoke the word. The word through the power of the Holy Spirit creates an explosion of growth when you're teaching in spirit, worshiping in spirit and truth. You want to see this church grow? Fill it with more of the word. You want to see this church grow? You want to grow? Start a home group. Share the word. We'll have these pews packed out in no time because it's not on our power. It's not on our own might. But it is the power, the might, and the glory of God that will fill every seat in this building. But it comes forth through his word. And this is what Isaiah is trying to communicate to us. But listen, this is the purpose. We were trying to answer two questions today as we close, and I'll invite the worship team to come up. We were trying to answer two questions today. What's the purpose of his word? And how does God use his word to exercise his grace display his grace upon the church. So let me close with this. As the word, this supernatural word of God, and you guys can begin playing softly as you get ready. And I'm gonna tell you guys, before uh, they get started, we're gonna have some time for body ministry today. Okay, and I'm gonna invite some of you up to help pray for anyone who needs prayer today. I'm gonna to give you an invitation at the end of all this. And I don't want you to leave the same way you came in today. I'm gonna to close this message in just a second. But we will have some time for personal body ministry. Uh, I'm gonna put some of you on the spot. Um, when, we're, when I'm done and I'm close the word, I'll ask Rini, and as the worship team plays, I'll ask Rini if she would come up. Um, I would ask uh, Pastor Jim, I would ask Pastor Bill, I would ask Rosa to come on up to the front so that you could, if you're willing, if you would come and be willing to pray for those who are in need this morning. But as the divine watering of the word pours out upon us in our individual lives and pours out its transformation upon the church, I would pray 
that its mission and its purpose be achieved. But what is that? See, the purpose of God's word is multifaceted, but I'll make it as simple as I can. See, the purpose of his word is to redeem the lost and the brokenhearted. It is to call back those who are currently in their own spiritual exile. It is to bring them back into his glory, as we sang in our worship song earlier, back into Bedav, into the Father's house. If you're willing today, if you're willing to seek his word, if you're willing to come to his word, if you're willing to listen to his word, Repent from your ways and your wicked thoughts. If you are willing to be a part of his plan, because it is his plan. If you're willing to be a part of his plan, be a part of his purpose, and let his word fill your lives and fill the life of this church, if you're willing to do that, God will begin to transform everything in your life. So what's the answer? What's the answer? The answer to our original question about what's the purpose of his word and how he moves and exercises grace over the lives of us individually in the church is that he saves us from an eternal exile. He saves us from an eternal judgment. He saves us from an eternal condemnation. That God in his grace wants to save me and you, every one of us that is under the sound of my voice, he wants to save us from the fiery wrath that we so justly deserve. We are wretched human beings, wretched creatures that are bent on rebelling against the God of the universe, that is bent on just betraying the one who gave us his only begotten son. We are worthy of his wrath. And anyone who says differently is wrong. If we will agree on the conditions that I noted earlier. If we will come to his word, seek his word, if we will listen to his word, if we're willing to repent from our wicked ways and our wicked thoughts, and if we're willing to surrender, that's the catch, if we're willing to surrender our plan to his, if we're ready to do that, God will begin to move. So many of us struggle today because we get all of those first parts right, but we don't want to surrender our plan. Will you surrender your plan today? Will you allow God's word to move and transform your life as you come to the word, as you seek and listen, and as you repent of your ways, will you allow the transformation of his word and his grace come over your life today. I will ask if you are so willing, those who I have asked to come up, if you will come up now, and whichever side of the room you are on, you can just come to that particular side of the room. And we're going to finish today with a couple more worship songs. And during that time, and I'll come up and I'll finish uh, in prayer, but during that time, Rose, if you want to come over here with reading. Um, during that time as we're worshiping in these last two songs I don't want you to leave here the same way my prayer at the beginning was that those who needed a blessing be blessed through the word that those who needed encouragement would be encouraged through the word and that those who needed a Holy Spirit led conviction be convicted today do not leave I invite you the Lord God Almighty invites you not to leave the same way you came in. 
And if you have no need to come up today, amen, that's fine. Would you pray for anyone who does today? Would you sit there in your seat? Would you pray and lift up anyone who needs to be prayed for and receive a word from these two men or these two women who may have a word? I don't know why I chose them. I love them. I don't know why I chose them, but I did. Maybe that was the Lord's plan. Will you come today? I have a few, one more comment before we get into these last two worship songs. If we agree to the conditions of this message today, and we're willing to surrender our plan, we will see the last two verses of this chapter in Isaiah 55 come to pass. And let me remind you in case you forgot what those verses said. In verse 12 and 13, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to read them directly, but we have an opportunity to escape exile and go out into a glorious procession of the saints filled with joy and peace. The very wilderness that was our life before Christ the very wilderness that was filled with briar and thorn bushes is now full of evergreens, is now full of life. And he has transformed us. Your transformation, if you need it today, is waiting for you. It's waiting for you right here, right now. If you're too shy or don't wanna come up, please raise your hand. Someone will come to you. Someone will come to you. Your transformation will serve this one final purpose. Your transformation will make his name renowned. Your transformation will make his name glorious. Your escape from the eternal exile, judgment, and eternal condemnation will be a sign to the world of his splendor, of his mercy, and of his glory that will never be erased throughout the annals of time. We're going to spend a couple more minutes up here again for anyone who needs to come up. I don't care if you've been saved for a day or a million days. It doesn't matter. If you need anything, if you need prayer, please come up. For prayers, great and large, come up. Let these two men or these two women pray for you. We're going to let the worship team minister to you in song. And then when we're done the last two songs, we'll be back up to close in a final prayer.
Soften our hearts, pour out your spirit, fill us in.